I invite you today to turn to the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 8. We have seen time and again in John's Gospel this theme that there is life in Jesus, the Son of God. As John and Lori played for us this morning, the King of love, my shepherd is. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the source of all life. And today, as we continue to look in John's gospel and our study through the gospel of John, we see uh, who, who Jesus refers to as God's true children as he is speaking to those who are around him who had made profession of faith in him, though he exposed very quickly and very easily that what they had said they had not truly met. Let's look today at at John chapter 8, and let's read verses 37 through 47 before we take some time to consider what this text says here today. John 8, 37, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we are not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and, he came, and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear, because you are not of God. Father, as we come before your word today, we have just a few minutes here to look at it, to seek to apply it to our hearts and lives, we ask that you would open our hearts today to hear the truth of the gospel proclaimed by Jesus Christ. Lord, we need truth. We need to know exactly who we are, who you are, how much you love us and care for us, and exactly what it is you want to do in our lives today. There may be one who is here today who you are trying to get a hold of their heart and asking them to trust you with their eternity. There may be others here today who are Christians wrestling with obedience to you and sin in their lives, and they need to hear the truth of the gospel once again and hear your calling to them to live for you. Lord, we ask that whatever we have going on in our hearts and lives today, you would set those things aside. You would quiet those things, and may we truly hear your word today. May your Holy Spirit have freedom to apply it to our hearts, that we may live as true children of God. May we hear the warning of those whom Jesus spoke to on this day, uh, recorded in the the gospel a little over 2,000 years ago. We ask that everything we say and do would give you the honor and the glory and the praise. In your name we pray. Amen.
Well, today is Mother's Day, and I was thinking about this this week, that one of the inevitable joys of raising children is observing them pick up new habits, quirks, and personality traits. How many of you who have raised kids, you, you enjoy that, right? You enjoy seeing the things that they pick up on in life. It's also one of the most revealing things because oftentimes the characteristics and, 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 and traits and things like that they pick up on aren't always part of their nature. They're more of the, the environment in which they're placed. Just to give you an example, when your two-year-old daughter, like mine, gets up holding her lower back going, oh, my back, that probably isn't because her back is causing her to ache at such a young age. In our home, my wife has a great, probably the greatest impact day-to-day with our children. And such may also be the case for some of you who are here today. Maybe the, the mother of your children, your wife, has a great impact on your children. Elizabeth's impact is incredib- indelibly imprinted on my own children. I was reminded of this recently, a few weeks ago. I spent 45 minutes in the car with Caleb, Chloe, and Joanna. That's our 8-year-old, our 6-year-old, and our 2-year-old. And you might expect, at that age, a lot of normal noise and chaos in a 45-minute drive. But I'm here to tell you that that van was as quiet as a tomb. Why? Because all three of my children were consumed with books on this 45-minute drive. And I'm going to tell you this, that's their mother who has taught them to love to read. Children reflect their parents. This is is what happens. And, And when this happens... You hear people say things like, well, there's no denying that one is yours, right? Genetically and behaviorally, these things will come out. And you know, that's true of physical children, but it's also true spiritually as well. It's true for those who are true children of God. Those who belong to God reflect the character of God in their lives. And here in John chapter 8, Jesus, in this passage that we've looked at over the last few weeks, has testified of his deity. He, he warned the people there of his coming departure to heaven, and he called for the people to trust in him. And he particularly has gone against these religious leaders of Israel who have sought to oppose him. John then told us in verse 30 that there are many who were there that day, who had, in his words, believed in Jesus. But as we saw last week, those professions of faith were nothing but empty, vain words. Now, they believed in some version of Jesus, but not in who he truly is. And as such, Jesus pointed out to them, they are still enslaved to their sin, even though they seek to maintain otherwise in their lives. So Jesus now continues to expose their hearts. Do you understand that that time and again throughout the gospel, time and again in the life of Jesus, what Jesus does is expose the true nature of hearts that are around him. And why does he do that? Well, he does that to show them and us what it means to be God's true children. He does this to bring these people to the point of decision about himself, and he calls for you and me to do the same today. Understand that every piece of information you hear about Jesus, everything you read in the scriptures, everything that God shows you about himself and applies to your heart through the Holy Spirit requires your response. You must respond to Jesus. And what you see in this passage here is that children of God fully embrace Jesus alone as Lord and Savior, which results in the reflected character of God in their lives.
Those who, who truly, indelibly, those who, who without question belong to Jesus and, and belong to God as his true spiritual children have embraced Jesus Christ completely and fully for who he is. The Lord of their life and the Savior of their soul. And that comes out in the way that they live their lives. And Jesus goes throughout this passage here today. We're just going to look at a couple of main points, but, but we're going to see here that, that Jesus clearly explains this to those who are there that day. Those who, who are his own countrymen, who are descendants of Abraham. We're going to talk about that in just a second. And because they were descendants of Abraham, maintain that they were therefore d- the children of God. And Jesus shows them this isn't the case just because you have this physical Heritage doesn't mean you truly belong to God. That requires your personal belief and trust in him. So let's look at that. And first we see in verses 37 to the first part of verse 41, this idea of children of Abraham. And what Jesus seeks to establish here in verses 37 and 38 is the inefficiency of physical descent. The inefficiency of physical descent. Jesus says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants. But you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. So in the previous section that we looked at last week, Jesus has established the reality that everyone who commits sin is enslaved to sin. Jew or Gentile all stand in need of freedom found in God alone. And the Jews who professed faith in Jesus, in verse 30, were taken aback, and they were appalled at what Jesus said, which, by the way, showed that they really hadn't placed their faith in Jesus, because if they had, they wouldn't have been surprised by what Jesus had told them. Because what they maintained is, well, we're children of Abraham, therefore we're free, we're not enslaved to sin. But Jesus showed them they were flawed in their thinking, and that instead, true freedom comes only in himself. Now he continues to reveal to them their need of salvation in himself. And here in verse 37, Jesus acknowledges that there is validity in their claim in being physical descendants of Abraham. Now to the Jews, parentage is everything. God, in in the book of Genesis, God made a covenant with a man named Abraham. And he delivered Abraham's future descendants from Egypt, as he promised. He revealed his word through the nation that came from Abraham. God had appeared to Abraham when Abraham was, was, was very old and said to him, you're going to have a nation that comes from you. And God in his promises, as he always did, he delivered on that promise. And now you have the nation which Jesus is born into, the nation of Israel, and you see this history of faithfulness in Israel's history. And so theirs was a proud and privileged heritage. Those Jews who stood before Jesus that day were very proud to be descendants of Abraham. And Jesus does not deny that physically they are Abraham's descendants. Physically you have come from the one with whom God made this covenant. However, he also points out that though they may be physical descendants of Abraham, they are still filled with sin. You see, what was happening is these people were seeking eternal security in their earthly heritage. Jesus says that this isn't where you look. You understand you can have the greatest, godliest heritage in your family line, and it means nothing without a personal commitment of faith in Jesus Christ. 
Your ancestors could be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Your dad could be a pastor, a missionary, or a committed church leader. You may have been in church from the time you were born, but if you do not personally place your faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation from your sin, confessing him as the Lord of your life, you do not belong to God. Paul later records for us the reality of Abraham's own faith. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, we read, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. You understand by reading this verse and by reading the scriptures that Abraham was not a child of God because he was Abraham. Abraham was a child of God because, as Paul recorded, as recorded in Genesis, he believed God. He exercised faith in God. And just as Abraham did, so too must all of those who would become children of God. And if not, it shows in your life. Jesus made this point quite clear to those who stood before him that day. He said in the second part of verse 37, But you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Those people who were gathered around him had malicious intentions in their hearts regarding Jesus. Specifically, they were seeking his death. This had been the case, by the way, ever since the incident we read about in John chapter 5 at the pool of Bethesda when, the man healed the man, when the Jesus healed that man on the Sabbath. The Messiah promised to Abraham and for whom Abraham hoped was standing before the pe- those people that day. Yet they had rejected him and they plotted his end. And in their plotting, they rejected Jesus And his word, that's why he says at the end of verse 37, my word has no place in you. The meaning behind here where he says my word has no place, the the meaning behind the word place is, is to go forward or to advance. The word of Jesus is that which implants itself in the heart of a believer to go forward or advance in his life and to bring him to eternal life. And what it does is it bears fruit in the life of a true believer. Jesus had just said in verse 31, if you kick your eyes up just there to verse 31, you'd see that Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. The hearts of those Jesus spoke to here in this passage were so full of rejection that they could not take in his word of salvation. They rejected him, so the word did not germinate in their hearts. And if you are going to receive Jesus into your life, you must receive his word. You must believe what he says. You must appropriate it in your own heart and life. And if you receive Jesus, the hallmark is that you continue in that word. The word of God is life. But rejection will push away that life. Therefore, the rejection of these ones shows exactly who they belong to. In verse 38, Jesus shows that just as they rightly claim physical descent from Abraham, he was rightly claiming his lineage as the Son of God. That's why he says, I speak what I have seen with my Father. The old saying is, like Father, like Son. 
Jesus, as God the Son and God himself, spoke only what was true and right because he is God. The things that he said were straight from God to man. They were the message of God's salvation. And his message matched his heritage. He had been sent by God and he spoke the things of God. And that was the same for the other people who were gathered there that day. Jesus continued in verse 38, you do what you have seen with your father. You see, these people who were gathered there today, that day were physical descendants of Abraham, but he's showing them they are not true children of Abraham, and thus they are not true children of God because of their rejection of him. And so therefore, they carried out the actions that they came by so naturally, while Jesus' actions and words proved his deity. While theirs then proved they did not belong to God. And here yet again, their ignorance and hardness of hearts blinds them to the truth as they continue in verses 39 to the first part of verse 41 then to maintain that they are spiritual children of Abraham. Look there in verse 39. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. So here, once again, the people insist that they belong to Abraham. What we're talking about here isn't a physical descent, but spiritually, they believe the same thing that Abraham believed. They believe in God. They continue to maintain this claim that they are indeed standing as Abraham's true children and thus in line for eternity in the presence of God. And here's the thing. If you love your sin and you love your own notions of what heaven is, your pride will give you all sorts of reasons to maintain whatever that notion is you have of whatever heaven may be. If you think that you'll be able to earn your salvation, your sinful flesh will fight very hard to maintain that fact to you. If you think that there is more than one way to get to heaven, you're going to fight sinfully for that. If you think that someone else's merit is going to get you to God, you're going to try to hold on to that. And if you don't believe in hell or punishment or perhaps even the concept of living somewhere for eternity, your beliefs will not be challenged easy because of the sinful pride that's in your heart. Coming to Jesus requires faith and humility. It requires me setting aside my own notions of what it means to live for God or to come to God or to reach eternity and believe in Jesus Christ. And humility is not something that comes naturally to us. Jesus' opponents would not come to him in humility and set aside their own perceptions and views for God's. Instead, they continued to maintain the narrative that they were really Abraham's descendants, and as such, they were in no danger of missing out on heaven. But once again, Jesus points out that if they truly did belong to Abraham, they would act like it. Well, how did Abraham behave? Abraham was a man of faith in God. Abraham was a man who followed and trusted God. We read in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 12, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him with the, of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. 
By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky and multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. What you find as you study the scriptures is that Abraham trusted God in faith. Those standing before Jesus that day trusted their own selves and their own works. Abraham left his father in faith who followed God and was willing to obey God even to the sacrificing of his own son Isaac, the son of promise. Why? Because he trusted God. Abraham believed God. The ones before Jesus this day continued to reject him. Abraham loved truth. The ones who stood before Jesus loved falsehood. Abraham was not a murderer. Those standing before Jesus plotted to kill Jesus. Now you tell me, like father, like son, were they really living as children of Abraham? No, they were not. Jesus, fully God and fully man, has told them the truth about himself, about God, and their own selves. And for this, they seek his death. Jesus continues, but now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. These are not the works of children of Abraham. They are the works of the children of someone else. And now Jesus will make it very clear who God's children are and who these are before him. So secondly, today we see not only children of God, Abraham, but we see children of God. And those, by the way, who are true children of Abraham, those who have faith in Jesus Christ, those who have faith in God alone, are those who then are the true children of Abraham and thus children of God as well. In verse, the second part of verse 41, carrying all the way into verse 42, we see this, the attempted refutation of, of Jesus' deity, but also the refutation of the supposed godly heritage. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. You see, the words of Jesus as he has continued to, to expose their not their untrue faith. This, these words of Jesus grow harder on the hearers. His allusions to the fact that they do not do the works of their father and the statements that these actions do not match a heavenly heritage are starting to hit home. And so here in the second part of verse 41, you have a reaction to what Jesus says. Because the listeners are starting to piece together what is being said. Therefore, they react to his judgments of themselves. They lash out here with this phrase that we read, we were not born of fornication. We would understand here that the word fornication is better translated today as sexual immorality. And this statement that they make here serves two purposes. Number one, it's a defense of themselves. What they're trying to claim is, hey, we're not illegitimate children. We're descendants from Abraham. We're, we're obviously children of God. They're once again continuing to maintain the narrative that that's all that's needed to be considered a child of God. Their heritage is clean, unsoiled, and secure. And if Jesus has acknowledged their earthly heritage, he surely cannot deny their spiritual inheritance, can he? 
And secondly, very likely this statement is now casting aspersions at Jesus' physical heritage. You see, the truth of Jesus' parentage was something that still evaded these hard-hearted ones who stood before him that day. And if you know the story, as recorded, especially in the first couple chapters of the book of Luke, Jesus had no earthly father. He was born of a virgin, as prophesied in the Old Testament. But what these ones saw was not the truth of what God had done, but what they saw was an inappropriate, immoral relationship that had produced the man who was standing before them that day. And so therefore, they cast this back in his teeth. They accuse him of being an illegitimate child. And all the while, they claim to be God's children. However, once again, in verse 42, Jesus has countered their arguments, saying that that if God were their father, their attitude towards him would be very different. If God were truly their father, they truly belonged to him, they would recognize who Jesus is as the son of God and would follow him. We read in our scripture reading this morning, 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. What Jesus is saying here in this passage, what John would later write in this letter of 1 John, is that love for Jesus, his teachings, and his ways leading to obedience is a byproduct of salvation. If you truly belong to God the Father, you love Jesus the Son. Because they are one and the same. God first loved us. And at salvation, he helps us to love him. You look around at other world religions, and they all have different views on Jesus. Some view him as a good man, or a man on whom God rested his power, a prophet. There are other views, but I'm going to tell you none of these are correct. Why? Because Jesus is God. The scripture is very clear on that, and we must recognize him as such. Jesus came forth from God the Father in the perfect plan of salvation, and if you reject Jesus Christ, you reject God. If you reject Jesus Christ, you cannot belong to God. And now Jesus exposes their true spiritual condition in verses 43 and 44. Jesus continues, Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. And he, in the desires of your father, you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Jesus now confronts their spiritual question, first of all, with a rhetorical question. Why is it that they do not understand what he has said? And Jesus has made it very clear time and again who he is. If, you, if, you have, if we have studied the Gospel of John, it has become very clear that Jesus doesn't hide things. He very clearly told people who he is. But why have they not understood it? Why have they not understood what he has said to them even this passage today as he has exposed their sinful, darkened hearts? Well, it was because they could not hear Jesus' word. They, they could not hear what Jesus had to say, and thus they could not understand. Why is this? Were they all deaf? No. It's because of the blindness and the darkness of their own hearts. 
What they had done is they had closed their hearts to him. They would not hear what he had to say. And thus, we get to the heart of the matter. In verse 43, you notice, or sorry, verse 44, Jesus no longer gives hints or gentle convictions. Jesus now clearly identifies who their father is. That these false professors of faith are not children of God, but they are what? Children of the devil. Those are some strong words. By the way, this has nothing to do with Mother's Day, okay? I'm not here to make applications. Jesus is speaking very clearly and very bluntly with those people who stood before him that day and said, oh, we're children of Abraham. We belong to God. Jesus says, no, you're not. You reject me. You plot murder against me. You're not a child of God. You are a child of the devil. When Jesus talks here, by the way, of the devil, he refers to Satan, the enemy of God. And I want to note from the very beginning, Jesus spoke of Satan as a being who is very real. Satan is not some little man dressed up in a red suit with a pitchfork and horns, okay? Jesus, Satan is not someone to be trifled with. He is a very real enemy of God, and he hates God's creation. I want you to know today, Satan doesn't love you. He hates you. He is not to be trifled with. The Bible calls him the prince of darkness. He seeks death and destruction. And in fact, you'll notice in verse 44... That Jesus states here two evil desires that particularly characterize Satan. Did you notice this? Number one, he was a murderer from the beginning. The first thing that characterizes Satan is death. The murderer from the beginning. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, what we call the fall of man, when Satan tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden to disobey God, What was he bringing upon her? And what was he bringing upon Adam who also disobeyed God? He brought death. God clearly warned Adam of this in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Do you understand that at the very beginning, in the perfect creation of God, there was no death? But death was the consequence of disobedience. And why is death the consequence of disobedience? Because Satan and sin are bringers of death. Think about this. When Satan first tempted Eve, what was the very first lie he led with? Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. God lied to you. I'm not here to kill you. I'm not here to bring death. That won't happen to you. He promised no death. He promised that the consequences of God that, said, that God said would happen really wouldn't happen. But you and I know that's not true, right? Because you and I are surrounded by death. Everyone in this room, your life at some point has been touched by death. Some of us more than others. And why is that? Because of Satan and sin. Physical 
and more importantly, spiritual death are here because of Satan's machinations and mankind's choice to disobey God and to follow Satan's temptations instead. And so the fall of man brought a curse upon all mankind, and that curse, you and I, face death. Because of the curse of sin, you and I, we come into this world, but we will pass away one day. In that curse, you and I are also born broken. We are spiritually dead, separated from God because of our sin, and therefore we are bound for hell. But you know what? In the wider world we live in, that's not how it's pitched or viewed in general, is it? In Satan's domain, the kingdom of darkness, you aren't told by the general public and the way you live your life, hey, by the way, you're a sinner and you're going to spend eternity in hell separated from God, right? You don't hear that when you turn the TV on on a regular basis, do you? Why? Because of the second thing that characterizes Satan. What is it that Jesus says? Not only does death characterize Satan, but he goes on to show that what else? Lying characterized Satan. He says, and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar. And what does he say? He is a fa- the father of lies. Lying is all Satan knows how to do. That's what comes natural. When he speaks, he lies. And by the way, he takes scripture and twists it and uses it out of context as a a lie. It began in the garden with Eve. I showed you that verse a few minutes ago. It continues throughout history, and it's the same today. You have been sold a bill of goods by Satan in your life. He promises you that that sin is going to bring you happiness. He promises you that that vice will fill the void in your heart. He promises you that you will be relieved if you would just bury yourself in that indulgence. And in that, and for a moment, you and I, we believe him, don't we? For a moment, he seems right. But then you find out something. The overwhelming guilt wasn't part of the bargain. The diminishing returns of that sin that you have to return to again and again and again and do more and more and more. That wasn't disclosed, was it? The emptiness returning and overtaking your heart like some kind of void that's threatening to suck you in, that wasn't what you signed up for. And yet, he continues to sell you hard on the system of sin, doesn't he? Well, you know what? This time, it'll be different. Well, I mean, you're all the way in. You might as well just do it again. Who's going to tell you it's wrong? Hey, by the way, it's not illegal. All of these and more are the lies Satan tells you to justify your sin. And all the while, you know what he's not telling you? He's not telling you about the havoc that you're wreaking on your health, your family, your relationships, your life, and most importantly, your eternity. And you are firmly in his grip, and he doesn't want to see you go. And the ones who stood before Jesus that day had intentions of murder in their hearts. They told and they believed lies about themselves and about Jesus, and the whole time they maintained what? We're children of God. 
We're right with him. Why? Why would they tell such lies? Because they were children of Satan. They would not receive the truth because they were children of the father of lies. Jesus knew their hearts. And he exposed those hearts. And Jesus knows our hearts today as well. My friend, there are many who walk into church week after week and they do not know Jesus Christ. They know the right words. They smile at the right times. They nod their heads when the pastor speaks. Maybe they even give an amen every once in a while, but they are not God's children. They are weeds among the wheat, which Jesus promised there would be. The truth of God's word does not penetrate the hardness of their hearts. And my friend, that is a sad state to be in. And if this is you, if you do not truly know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and that concerns you, I'm here to tell you that's God's grace in your life. Because that means the word of God still continues to penetrate your heart and soul. And if that's you, I urge you to respond to the calling of the Savior in your life today. Because if you do not repent and turn to Jesus, your end will be terrible indeed. These ones standing before Jesus continued to refuse him. And now Jesus indicts them for the refusal of his testimony. In verses 45 through 47, we see the refusal of Jesus' testimony. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. So in contrast to Satan and all who belong to him, Jesus always speaks the truth. He spoke the truth about himself. He spoke the truth about God. He spoke the truth about mankind. And you're going to find something. Sin does not welcome truth. When Jesus says things like, I speak the truth, you not listen to me, does that ring any bells in the world you and I live in today? It's still the same way, by the way. As it was then, it is now. Darkness hates light. And so because Jesus spoke truth, he was not believed. The sin-hardened hearts of the people shut Jesus out. Yet the lies of Satan could not overcome the truth. In verse 46, Jesus issues a challenge that only he can give. He said, which of you convicts me of sin? He does not ask these people, how many of you think I have sinned? Because in their own twisted thinking, they could come up with any types of of lies and false narratives, which they would eventually do. But he wants to know which of them can objectively prove him to be in the wrong before God. The obvious answer is what? No one. And the obvious realization is this. Only Jesus, by the way, can issue this challenge. He is God and man. He has no sin. And therefore, he continues to press the issue That if he tells the truth, why do they not believe? If he was not guilty of sin, he must then naturally be in the right and speaking truth. But they would not hear the gospel. 
And so once again, Jesus sends the point home as as we close this passage today, that he who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. The one who belongs to God listens to what God says, acting upon what he hears. The one who doesn't listen to God doesn't belong to God. You say, that's simple. It is simple. Yet it is also deeply profound. If you do not hear the word of God, if you do not listen to what God says, if you do not obey God, if you do not follow God, and if that is the consistent pattern of your life, I don't listen to God, I just do my own thing, I just indulge in my own sin, I don't really care what God has to say, Jesus says it, not me, you do not belong to God. That's pretty harsh, that's love. Jesus tells us the truth. You say, well, I, I mean, I really struggle with sin. I really, I, I profess faith in Jesus Christ and I still find myself, yes, you're going to still struggle with sin. But as I told you last week, there's a key word there. You still struggle with sin. There's a huge difference between struggling with sin and, well, that's just the way I live my life because I don't really know God. The enemy of lies is the truth. And yet, the liar will continue to assault what is true and right. And the only way to become a child of God is through embracing the truth of Jesus. And the only way to live as a child of God is to continue to act on that truth, living in obedience to Jesus. If you come to Jesus Christ in faith, that is not the end of the gospel in your life. That is only the beginning. Because Jesus calls you to continue to live in his truth. To continue to embrace who he is and obey what he says and to live for him. Children of God fully embrace Jesus alone as Lord and Savior, which results in the reflected character of God in their lives. True children of Abraham and thus children of God reflect their spiritual parentage. True children of God, listen to the word of God, apply the word of God, embrace the word of God, and live the word of God. And if you do not embrace the truth of the gospel, you are not a child of God. The gospel tells us of our sin. It shows us that you and I are born broken. It points you to the broken pieces of your own efforts. And the gospel tells you a a most important truth. You can't do this. You can't gain eternity. You can't outwork your wrong deeds. You can't find another way. You can't make yourself acceptable. You can't escape the notice of the creator who made you and now holds you accountable. And then it tells you another truth, but Jesus did for you. The lies you tell yourself might make you feel better. They might keep you going for a little while or get someone off your back but they won't satiate your soul. Not really. You need the truth of Jesus. You need to place your faith in him. You need his finished work on your behalf so that you may live in his power and might. And if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I invite you today to place your faith in him. In just a minute, the service will be over, and if you have questions about that, I'll be happy to to take you to the scriptures and show you exactly what God says about placing your faith and trust in him and in him alone. And Christian, Jesus has saved you to live for him. 
So here's the question that all Christians have to ask. Why is it that we continue to run to disobedience? We say, well, I don't think I do. You and I, I just told you we all struggle with sin, right? We do. Why do we think that sin will make us happy? There is no greater joy for you and I as Christians than to live in obedience to God. Living out the truth of God's word with God's help on a regular, consistent basis. So I invite you to come to Jesus, believe in Jesus, and live as a true child of God. Father, thank you for your word and its power to change our lives. Thank you for the testimony of Jesus Christ who stood before those that day who had professed faith in him and showed them the truth of themselves and showed them the truth of who he is. And thank you for preserving these words in your word that we could read them here today in 2023. Lord, we ask that you would do a mighty work in lives today. We have heard the truth We have read it. We have studied it. Lord, now we must do something with it. I pray for my friends who have come here today and for myself that you would now use it in our hearts. You would bring the one who has wrestled with salvation to that point of decision. You would give them the courage, the boldness, the grace to place their faith in you. For the Christian, Lord, who has tolerated a sin in their life all too long and they know it's wrong, that you would convict them, that you would show them there is joy and peace in submitting to you. There is no fear. A perfect love casts out fear. And if they love you, they will keep your commandments. Lord, we ask that your word will continue to hammer away at our hearts even as we leave this place today. Be with us now as we prepare to dismiss. We ask that you would watch over and protect us. Give us a great rest of this day. In your name we pray. Amen.